this episode on the Culture Quest. Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers on a mission to find some refinement and class. Joining me today are Peter. Yo de yo. And Barrio. Howdy ho. And I am Inon. Thank you for taking part in our quest, the only epic quest that does not require that you get up from your couch. Uh, first episode, uh, how are you guys doing? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Cool, so um, episode one, today's main discussion will be um, about the producers. That's a movie by Mel Brooks. Before we dive into that, uh, we'll do a bit of an introduction. We'll introduce this podcast and what's it all going to be about. Uh, we're going to introduce ourselves with a little game we've got going. Before we do that, I just want to mention uh, next episode that we will record will be about Deja Vu, a music album by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. We'll be previewing that just a bit uh, before the end of this episode. Yeah, I'll have a bit of a chat about that, so... Cool, cool. And uh, you can find all the ways to contact us in the show notes. Send us anything you think will be interesting. Uh, talk about this episode. Tell us what you thought about the movie. Uh, tell us what you think about the uh, album we'll be talking about next uh, episode. Uh, just send us anything you think uh, will be cool. Okay, let's go into introducing the podcast. So this is going to be a podcast that will release an episode uh, every two weeks. Uh, each episode is going to have a main discussion focusing on uh, different subjects. So this podcast, it's kind of a joke, but it's our quest to becoming more cultured. That means uh, we're going to be trying to broaden our horizons. We're going to be enjoying a different kinds of art forms. That's going to be uh, movies, music, books, stand-up, maybe video games, whatever comes to mind. Uh, and maybe digging a bit deeper than we usually would. Yeah, I think it's those two things. We want to go for stuff that's outside what we would usually um, go for and go into it a little bit more than we usually would, I think. Yes, like give it a good chance, not just um, listen to an album and say it's not for me and give up on it. Yeah, Basically, My Fair Lady, but with three dudes trying to <laughs> get out of the <laughs> uncultured life. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I've never seen My Fair Lady. <laughs> <laughs> then that's a piece of culture that we need to... Uh... That's a gap we have to close. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the idea is to have a, a nice conversation about it with you guys, my friends. And, well, I said that before, but becoming cultured, it's kind of a joke. It's kind of, we're using it as a theme, but it's going to be mainly around, I think, pop culture. I mean, we may still steer into real culture from time to time, like maybe listen to classical music or watch artsy films, but it's going to be just culture, um, just a big word, culture. Yeah, culture definitely seems to entail pop culture but i guess you could say going into diff different areas which um have have some sort of rich um background i think i think that's a good way to yeah compared to like typical pop culture things like lord of the rings star wars and stuff we want to go a little bit broader to encapsulate things such as symphonies or plays or music that doesn't have to have a cult following but it would definitely help if it was if there's some people that really stand by it and then we can kind of understand why why it's so big and why we've missed it yeah <laughs> and we're not going to limit ourselves to anything uh, that's why pop culture and everything is included yeah but uh, we're going to go for stuff that maybe had more influence than usual on culture uh, i really like the quest theme that we've got going on I mean, uh, we're talking about questing and uh, becoming cultured. I kind of picture us sitting in a, like an inn in the middle of the forest on big comfy chairs with, uh, you know, animal pelts uh, covering the chairs, sitting near a fire. Uh, maybe our weapons are leaning on the wall by the door and we're, 
you know, trying to act all classy and cultured. People yeah. are looking at us kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. We're wearing top hats, uh, even though we're inside, we're drinking brandy, <laughs> but we're using martini glasses. Like, we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has that medieval sort of vibe with Quest. Like, you don't, there's no modern <laughs> quests. Like, when you go to work, you don't say, oh, I'm going on a quest. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> everything's got Google Maps. If you can use Google Maps, it's not a quest. <laughs> That's a good line to put there. <laughs> I can speak for myself that um, I never get references. They always go over my head. And when conversations uh, get to talk about uh, movies that are popular and mu- movies or music that, you know, everyone uh, knows, everybody has heard of, I kind of feel left out because I've never watched these movies or, uh, or, or music. I mean, I've never watched The Princess Bride. I've never watched Jurassic Park, never watched E.T. And the list goes on. Uh, My Fair Lady, we, we mentioned it earlier. <laughs> never watched any of those. Never watched any of those. So No, good. So we're uh, we're on the same uh, starting line. <laughs> I've got, oh, actually, I've got an interesting question to ask you guys. Um, what's the biggest blind spot in your pop culture sort of um, life? So what, what would be the thing that would most surprise people that you haven't seen? Haven't seen or, or like in general culture anything, uh, references i keep running into um books that i haven't read um like war and peace or uh, 1924 so i keep nodding in my head at those occasions and it's <laughs> and, and this can be a good opportunity to put something back in the conversation after learning a bit. Mm. Yeah, I find myself uh, uh, often saying, yeah, I've never read Hitchhiker's Guide. I meet a lot of people who love this book. I mean, it's a very popular book and the people I hang out with, uh, that's just their kind of book. But I've never read it. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think the Hitchhiker's Guide is one of my favorites. Definitely. Really? I mean, I, I haven't read a lot of books, but that's definitely in the top, top three. Is there more than one Hitchhiker's? Yeah, there's actually, well, it's called the uh, Inaccurate Three Books Trilogy uh, <laughs> because uh, he meant to do a trilogy and eventually ended up with five books. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. I understand. What about you, Peter? Um, uh, let me think. I, I did have a specific one in, in mind when I said it, and that was um, Harry Potter. I've never read or, or watched mm. them, so that's... Um... I don't think I know anyone who's never watched or, or read the books. <laughs> no, you do. Yeah, it feels like it's becoming more and more prevalent as well in just just on the internet and stuff with all these Harry Potter memes and, you know, stuff like that. So um, it all goes over my head. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and um, I can say that every time I'm in the car with my girlfriend and we listen to her music or uh, to the radio, there, there are so many songs. It happens so often that there are songs that she says everybody knows them and I've never even heard of them. So, um, you know, I kind of want to close that gap and... Uh, when I was a bit younger, maybe 24, 25, I used to, to listen to classic albums and watch older movies, uh, you know, in my free time uh, to try and close that gap. But um, I, I didn't like doing it alone. You know, I didn't like not having anyone to talk to. So, I mean, the podcast provides company and also a commitment to actually do it. Yeah, I like the commitment. It makes me feel like I'm doing it for a greater reason just, just to see it, you know, mm-hmm, getting mm-hmm. to talk about it. Do you guys do you guys have any goals that you want to achieve uh, with this podcast? If we can build up a bit of a insert word for which means a lot of things, but um, I like to <laughs> once we build up a bank of these episodes, it would be nice to be able to like look through them and think, yeah, I've seen all these new movies that I haven't seen, and seen all these or listened to all these new albums that I haven't listened to, and sort of build up a little bit of a bit of a knowledge base i guess you could say so when you're in a conversation someone says oh have you seen this then you can say yes i have seen it and you can talk about it a bit so that's always nice so uh to be able to look at the at my list and see like that's a movie that i may not have liked before but now uh, that i gave it a fair chance uh I'm, I'm totally into it yeah um what about you Boreo? i think pretty much um the same i mean um do you not that feeling when you first hear an album and, and you got like you think you understand it, but then with with um, when you dive a bit deeper into it, you you kind of find out the whole a brand new world. Yeah. Then I guess yeah. it yeah. also exists in, in other um, cultured um, creations, right? yeah. like movies, yeah. books, etc. So so I think it could be a really amazing feeling to to experience uh, on, on other layers. mediums. Yeah. 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 Like like. Yeah. 
you know, even even taking something that I'm, you know, partially fami- familiar with and diving a bit deeper can mm-hmm. be a very satisfying experience. I kind of set myself a goal, and that's to be able to make the listeners feel that they're part of this quest. <laughs> the listeners, how can we forget? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what I like about podcasts that I listen to is that they feel personal and, and they make me feel like I'm a silent part, but a part of the conversation. So um, I kind of hope that the listeners at home uh, would want to join us and uh, listen to stuff. And uh, maybe, maybe uh, as I said before, send us their ideas about what we're talking about. You know, it kind of reminds me that um, how, how to get listeners uh, on board with, with something that they hear. I, I recently heard um, a Stan Lee talk that he explains that he never thought about the readers. He always, mm. he always tried to just do something that he likes, write, uh, you know, write a comic book that interests him. And, and he starts to wonder where, is the, plot, where the plot is going and eventually, because he's not that special, mm-hmm. and um, and other people liked what he liked, he created some good, uh, some would say immortal uh, creations that uh, their depth probably doesn't lack in any way regarding other other uh, more um, you know mainstream uh, popular mm-hmm. uh, creations. Yeah. So I, I guess. I guess like the first thing that we should probably do is is make it enjoyable to ourselves, make it interesting to to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we're not gonna enjoy this, any no no one will. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> we want to get you guys who are listening on the other side uh, on board and and uh, enjoying yourselves as well. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. Uh, important note: there will be spoilers. Always. Yeah, yeah. We can't uh, I mean, do it without if it's spoilers. a movie or if it's a book. Yeah, we're not gonna avoid spoilers. No way, no how. Another thing is we're not going to review or rank or give scores or anything. We're, we're, we're not that uh, knowledgeable. <laughs> you guys will have to stop me as well because I always like to rank and categorize things, but um, I think it's a good idea not to do cool. that. Cool, can, you can do that, but we're not going to have an official Culture Quest score nah, or, nah, or nah, anything. Nah, nah, nah. We're going to have a Peter Definitely score. <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> the Peter scale. <laughs> guys, you meant to stop me, don't encourage me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, one last thing. Listeners don't have to watch the movie or listen to the album before uh, before we're going to be talking about it. I mean, it's recommended, but yeah, you don't have to watch anything. We're going to try and make the conversation interesting anyway, right? Yeah, we are, but it definitely helps. Like, I, I have a few podcasts that do that, that like sort of follow on on the readings. And I think, oh, well, if I don't do the reading and I just listen to it, then I'm sort of getting half of it anyway. And I, yeah, I love it. But, yeah, and I yeah. do, I actually do like it like that, but... It's always better when you do read the material first. Or cool. Um, let's uh, play a little game to introduce ourselves. Um, I've made a list of sixty-four icebreaker questions. Um, most of it is from Reddit, but it took me a while to find questions from Reddit because people there always joke around. They never take anything seriously. Yeah. Um, so, so I've I made a list of uh, questions uh, from all around the internet. Peter, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. Cool. Do you want me to use a uh, 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 randomizer, or do you want to pick a number from 1 to 64? Do I want to be complicit in my fate, or do I want it to be handed <laughs> to me? Um, ah, randomize it, randomize it. You get number 53. Mm, okay, before I ask you the question, do you consider yourself an adult? Uh, yes. Cool, so the question is, what about becoming an adult caught you completely off guard? Oh, that's a good one. Um... <laughs> Okay, um, this is going to be a bit of a serious answer, but um, I won't make it too long. I think the serious um, interpretation of my answer is is um, when you're sort of going into jobs, when you're when you're like a kid, jobs were sort of just like get in, get out, like it's just paid by the hour, and you know you kind of just work at wherever you work. Like I worked at a bakery when I was young, and then I worked at like a little service station basically just sort of go in and like you do like your five hour shift or whatever like that and then you leave and there's no sort of like work culture but then when you go into like a full-time job you see the same people every day you sit at the same sort of office area and stuff so you kind of it's like a it's actually sort of like a work culture which you don't get when you're like younger so I don't know if that's like particularly what an adult is but I guess you could say it's sort of like an adult thing like being committed to a job you know what i mean so 
that one mm-hmm, sort of struck mm-hmm. me as like a little bit different. So not everyone's sort of like everyone's ev- you see the same people every day. So yeah, yeah. Do you take your job home with you? Uh, surprisingly, no, not really, because my work email. Um, I don't know if they did this for like interests of um, work-life balance or something like that, but I don't have my work email at home, so I can only access at work. So that's really good. And a lot of the work I need sort of like the my work stuff, you know what I mean? I can't just like think about it and do it on my own at home and stuff. I really need like all the resources at work. So um, yeah. no, I don't really bring it home. So I'm sure a lot of people do in my field. I'm in like sort of professional services, but um no, I'm happy that I don't, so, yeah. It's hard to find a balance between work and home, and um, I think most jobs that I've I've heard about kind of would like you to work from home, and, you know... Yeah. It's nice to hear that uh, where you work, you, you can't take work home with you. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So, I'm sure, like, the senior people can sort of, like, um, assess whether they want to and make that decision, mm-hmm. but as a young... As a sort of a younger sort of graduate position, they don't... Um, they just don't do it, which is really good, so. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Uh, Bario, pick a number, 1 to 64, or do you want me to generate a random one? 42. 42. Isn't that the number from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide? <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. Pretty much it. <laughs> so this is your question. What was something you thought would be easy until you tried it? Something I thought was going to be easy until I tried it. Yep. Hmm. Next. Yeah, you want to generate another number? Uh, let's try 41. <laughs> this is your question. What assumption you made went hilariously wrong? I think, okay, I can answer this for him. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, the answer to 42 uh, is both the answering question 42 and question 41. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, that's yeah. that's an easy out. <laughs> yeah. An assumption that went horribly wrong. Well, I, I guess at work it kinda happens <laughs> too too frequently where you kinda assume that something works in a specific way, then it turns out to be like completely off and um it kinda messes everything. I'm a I'm a software engineer, right? So um, you change one line of code, then oh, yeah. you're saying, oh, it's just uh, you know, I just add this little condition here, and and it should be very a very local change, and nothing should should happen, and then <laughs> something goes completely wrong on the other side of the of the system, and pretty much breaks everything, and and uh, everything becomes really um, bad, and and it kind of it kind of scares you. Uh, afterwards, so you're trying to prepare, but uh, those kind of things, you're usually not completely able to to be prepared to. Like there's a joke about a quality assurance engineer walks into a bar and he asks for, uh, you know, he asks for one beer, then he asks for uh, two beers, then he asks for one million beers, then he asks for uh, blah, 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 blah beer, then he asks for minus one. These are like all kind of test cases that you, we mm. usually do in, <laughs> while, while checking something. And the next part of the joke is that a real customer goes into the bar, asks, asks where, where the bathroom is, then the whole bar catches on fire and everyone dies. <laughs> and that, that's usually what happens um, in software, software engineer when you're doing the wrong assumption. <laughs> Good. Here's a joke. It's an answer. <laughs> um, that'd be cool to um, maybe read a book or something about software engineering. Not necessarily like a starter's guide, but, you know, something that has to do with it. I think, um, I don't know, this might be a bit of a weird sort of segue, but um, I definitely think um, software engineering and computer coding has quite um, interesting analogies to um, philosophy of mind, um, which I think maybe we could do. I think we had something on our list about Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, and um, we had another one about octopuses and um, stuff. So, yeah, that could be interesting. We have one about octopuses? Uh, yeah, I made a, a Google Sheets uh, file. I don't know if you've seen it uh, with all, all things we can talk about. One of them is a book called Other Minds. It's about um, how the brains of uh, cephalopods, that's uh, octopuses and uh, squids, how their brains evolved in... Um, supposed to be very very interesting they're very smart yeah that's cool that's cool yeah yeah we may get to it one day 
Cool.、Uh, I got question number 29. It says, If money were not a consideration, how would you spend the days of your life?、Hmm. Honestly, I think I would uh, um, try to work on a, on a stand up、uh, show. Oh,、um, ah, yeah. Writing jokes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I once said that to my girlfriend, and maybe even said it twice. I don't know, but she keeps bringing it up every once in a while. <laughs> I once said that.、Um, If I had a year, a whole year,、uh, in which I didn't have to worry about money at all, I'd just try to become a stand up comedian because <laughs> that could be something to answer Bio's question as well. What, what did you think was easy until you tried it? <laughs> yeah. Because I kind of think you just take all the funny stories from your life and you, know, you kind of work on them and you kind of polish them and you kind of find out how to tell them in a way that works with as many people as you can. Uh, you go out to open mic nights and you just, again, just tell the stories,、uh, make them work, kind of learn to read the room and give me a year in which I don't have to worry about money. And I think I can do it. That's what I would do. That's not bad. Not bad answer. Yeah. Thank you.、Uh, let's go into the main discussion now. So. Going to be talking about、um, uh, the producers, a 1967、uh, film by Mel Brooks. And、um, I'm just going to start by saying that movie was not at all what I expected it to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm taking full、uh, blame on this. I did not intend、uh, to have Nazis in our first episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't escape from it. No, no, you can't. I really I had this movie in the back of my mind for years because I have a friend who keeps mentioning it. Every, every couple of months, he will mention that movie, and I always wanted to see it. Now, I think he told me more than once what that movie is about, but I definitely forgot because I thought it was going to be a drama about you know,、uh, Broadway producers. I thought it was going to be something like maybe like Fame, which is dumb because I've never watched Fame. I don't know what Fame is about. So <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> Basing it off a movie you haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I did. <laughs> Talking of an assumption that goes、uh, completely off. <laughs> yeah, right. By the way, I always thought it was a musical. So it kind of took me by surprise that pretty much had one song. Yeah, right.、Um, I thought it was a musical as well. And that film came out, and a few years later, they turned it into a Broadway musical, which turned into a, a musical film.、Uh, so this movie, no, it, it just has one song.、Yeah. Wait, so, so, the new, so the new one is a musical? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Two hour long. The 2005 one. Is that a musical? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yep.、Uh, after suggesting the movie, I kind of Googled it and I saw that it was a Mel Brooks film. And that moment, I could tell it, it's not going to be a drama about producers in Broadway because Mel Brooks does comedy and he has a very distinct style.、Uh, I then saw that Gene Wilder was playing in it. And、um, I've seen him in,、um, what is that movie called?、Um, Charlie, Charlie and the, the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Factory. Yeah. And、uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. So. Uh, that's another big name right there. And then you start the movie, and the first thing you see is、uh, Max Bialystok's.、Uh, he's the main character. You see his、uh, office from outside. You see his name on the door. And the name Max Bialystok,、um, it was very familiar to me. I heard it more than once. I can't remember where, but I've heard that name before, and I never knew what it meant. And so I'm thinking a Mel Brooks film,、uh, a big actor like Gene Wilder, and that's a, a reference I never got before. That's three in one. Uh, so, hooray! <laughs>、uh, listeners at home, in case you haven't seen the, the movie,、uh, let me tell you what it's all about. So, I think in one line, if I had to sum it up, this is a movie about what happens when a man who is doomed to fail tries to fail. You can see、uh, Max Bialystok, the hero of the movie, you can see from just looking in his eyes, he, he's going to fail. And then the plot of the movie is he's trying to fail. So, we have Max Bialystok,、uh, he's the main guy, he's a has been Broadway producer. And there's the second kind of hero or anti hero of the movie、uh, that's Leo Bloom. That's an accountant played by Gene Wilder sent、uh, to work on Max's、uh, books.、Uh, and the movie starts with showing us how Max raises funds for his plays. He, he entertains elderly ladies and convinces them to invest in his shows,、uh, which is already not the most ethical, ethical thing to do. <laughs> entertains is a, is a soft word. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Leo finds something wrong in、uh, Max's books.、Uh, Max raised $60,000 dollars for a play, but only used like,、uh, I think, $58,000 it was. So there are $2,000 missing. And、um, Max tells him that it doesn't matter, the, the play flopped. 
Max kind of explains that if the play is a hit, then investors come and claim their profits. But if a show flops, nobody comes a knocking because there's nothing to claim. Anyway, Leo kind of innocently, he realizes that you can make more money uh, if you know your play is going to flop. You can take $1 million in investments, put some money into making a flop and just keep all the rest of the money. And Max is immediately convinced to do just that. Uh, he tries to get Leo in on this game, but Leo, you know, he's innocent. He's a good guy, basically. He's kind of a, a blank guy. But he doesn't want to join in on this game. Uh, and Max needs him because he needs someone to handle the books. Uh, it takes a bit of convincing. There's a whole scene where Max is, not literally, but he plays like a devil on Leo's shoulder. Eventually gets him to play along. They start by finding the worst script they can find. And here the Nazis... Um, come in. They find a script called Springtime for Hitler, a gay romp with Adolf and Ava at Berchtesgaden, which is a word I practice saying and I still that said it wrong. That was good. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Did not expect that. <laughs> and they go to meet the author of the play, uh, a guy called Franz Lipkind, which is a crazy pigeon-growing, helmet-wearing Nazi hiding out in New York City, and they eventually get him to sign over the rights for the play. Then they find the worst director they can find, uh, a guy called uh, Roger Debris. He's known for closing shows on their opening nights, which is perfect if you're trying to flop. They then proceed to hire an actor to star in their show. Uh, they get a guy called Lorenzo Saint Dubois, more or less kind of a hippie. Um, it kind of looks like he's drugs to the point of erasing the contents of his brain. I don't know. His name was LSD, right? Yeah, yeah, they just call him LSD, yeah. yeah. It's Central Lorenzo de Saint-Dubois, but they just call him LSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everything's lined up. They have the worst actor, they have the worst play, they have the worst uh, director. Um, anyway, it's opening night, Max and Leo uh, are watching the, um, uh, the opening song, and everyone hates it. And it's easy to see the crowd doesn't play along, they, they hate it. And uh, Max and Leo are happy. Their scheme is working. So they, uh, they leave. They go to the bar to celebrate. And they don't see the point in the show where LSD takes the stage. Because his method of acting, he's, he's just... He can't play Hitler, but the crowd thinks that he's mocking Hitler. That is uh, not celebrating Hitler. That is making fun of Hitler. And instantly, the show becomes a hit. Uh, Max and Leo, uh, they don't find out about it until about, I don't know, halftime uh, of the show. When they find out that the, the show is, is working, that people like it, they immediately know that their plan is doomed. I think uh, Max has uh, a line there. He says, um, I was so careful. I picked the wrong play. I picked the wrong director, the wrong cast. Where did I go right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, they know that they're doomed. They don't know what to do. They kind of team up with France, the guy who wrote the show, to blow up the theater. Because, I mean, if you blow up the theater, the, the show can't go on. <laughs> I mean, it, it just can't. They try to do that. I mean, I, I think they actually blow up the theater. And then uh, they sentence to go to prison. Uh, there in the courthouse, uh, Leo has a nice little speech before everything is over. Uh, they go to prison. Max and France are trying to put up a new show uh, called Prisoners of Love, while Leo is selling the rights to the show to prisoners, the guards, um, the warden is in on this. And um, that's it. That's that's the movie. But but they're in prison, they're running the same scam again, right? They're selling um, more percentages, more yeah, percentage yeah, yeah, of the yeah. of the play than <laughs> there there is. Yeah, they're overselling it. Yeah. 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 Well. In the prison, right, there was, they, he sold 20%, then he sold 30%, and then he sold 50% to the guard of the play, right? Yeah. So, uh -huh. um, but I assume he had people um, before in the line that he sold parts of the play to, so it... Yeah, and like, there's still a long line behind him. Yeah, so I, yeah, that was, are we, are we assuming that was definitely the sale still the same scam just because like they only revealed that it was 100 because i was like oh is that like did they just cap it out or like because the other people could but have I been buying tickets but yeah i think i think so yeah i think they're not sell selling 100 they, there's uh like gene wilder sells a couple of 20 percent like for a couple of prisoners to each he sells 20 percent then it goes to thirty percent. Then it goes to fifty percent. And for the for prison uh, warden, I, I think like the the main point is that they're definitely over one hundred percent because it's also like right after they're they're claiming in in the uh, in the court that they will never that they learn their lesson and will never do that I'll again. Never do it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I kind of thought that they're just 
running the same scheme again because they kind of like the taste of living on the wild side now. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, I thought that too. I just wanted to confirm. Yeah, let me, let me just say, I didn't really like the movie after my first viewing, really. I mean, I just thought it had its funny moments, but it's not for me. But, you know, preparing for this episode, I kind of dug deeper and I uh, was re-watching some scenes and uh, the, the scene from the... Um, Uh, springtime for Hitler uh, uh, show with the song and everything and I I just suddenly I found out I really I really love this movie it's funny it's great it's I, I really like everything about it what did you guys think I think it was crazy from the very beginning I was I was kind of surprised how uh, eccentric it was like they keep screaming and and giving these uh, oh, yeah. wide-eyed shots to the camera and just completely chaos <laughs> I guess they have good chemistry Gene Wilder and uh, what's the name of the uh, zero mistake zero mistake yeah they kind of have good good um, good chemistry between them and uh, his name is zero <laughs> zero <Mustel>. yeah <laughs> I think it's um It's, uh, I read about it. It's a nickname that I think his mom gave it to him because she thought it will never amount to anything. Uh, I think his name is Sam, Samuel or something, but they <laughs> call him Zero because he's Zero. <laughs> That's interesting, you know. <laughs> it also kind of tells a lot about the... Makes sense. Yeah, it kind of adds up with the movie. Yeah. So it was, it was created from the very beginning and actually it, it went really, really great. I mean... you can you can kind of feel it's in a whole different pace than um, uh, than modern movies it wasn't really clear what's coming next and how the scenes kind of added to each other like this there's this whole montage of, of them outside and and eventually when uh, when Leo decides that uh, he's is uh, going uh, yeah he's joining the scheme and there's this uh, fountain behind them and it starts uh, spring water. So the whole pace there was was kind of weird but uh, it worked yeah it was interesting and and all the way to the auditions and and actually having the show and suddenly when the show succeeds I kind of I kind of lost my affection to the movie well well it's maybe it's a strong phrasing I, I like the movie but I think the ending kind of kind of missed something like I yeah. did expect they will I, I mean the the whole thing setup of blowing up the uh, the theater it was kind of redundant because they got caught yeah. so mm-hmm. it, it kind of it didn't lead anywhere and, and then started doing the same scheme again then I wasn't really sure what the movie is trying to say because like usually when when you're seeing like uh, this movie is usually about the characters change they learn something uh, they're, they're going that's how the, the movie resolved they understand the something about them or about the world that they didn't understand before mm-hmm. and and the movie might end in the same place but not in the same position and that was kind of the other way around here because they ended up in jail but like exactly where they started from I didn't see a lot of Mel Brooks films but um, like he's more about the process is more about uh, making you laugh during the film than than actually yeah um, finishing with a, with a big saying or, or a, a moral yeah um, my interpretation was um, along those lines as well I thought that the journey was really good so um, some of my favorite scenes were in the in Max uh, Bialystok's office I thought the I'm hysterical scene I thought that was really good that was probably my favorite scene and um, I just thought all along the way with the secretary and the And the <laughs> the Nazi guy is um on the roof and stuff i actually i actually really i didn't have that high expectations because i i I don't really watch a lot of old films I thought oh, I don't know maybe the comedy will be outdated or something like that, but it was actually a really nice dose of comedy which we don't really see nowadays like because mm-hmm. most comedy has sort of been doused in sort of modern sort of norms and you know stuff to do with like the different sexes and breaking the law or something like that but well mm-hmm. even though there was a lot of breaking the law but you know what I mean it was it, it, there's not much innocent comedy going around nowadays and I thought this was like a really nice show to or movie to um, sort of watch and really enjoy the journey but I'm also on the same side as um, Barrio here where I don't think the ending really did it justice I thought if they kept it off with with a different sort of outlook or something like that especially from Max's side because I thought I thought Leo had a good character arc because he was sort of um, he was definitely I thought he started out like a blank person he had nothing to say about him yeah he didn't really have any sort of 
traits or anything from even his subjective um, standpoint. He didn't really find anything to be too enjoyable. But then once he got into this, he was he was sort of like a new person. And I thought at the end, I was sort of hoping that would happen with Max as well. But no, I don't. Yeah. So that, that kind of <laughs> let me down a little bit. But I don't want to. I don't want to say the ending ruined it because I definitely did enjoy most of the movie, which I didn't expect. So that was good. No, I thought the movie was going to end on so many points um, on the way to the ending. I thought the play did not flop. The plan failed. So um, freeze frame on their anxious faces and you know just finish it. But then the Nazi guy shoots them with a gun. So I thought, okay, how worse could it get? End it now. And then they decide to blow everything up. And every point from then on, I thought this movie should end any moment. But it didn't. It just kept getting worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, I don't know if this is should or how I thought it would. But I thought that they would have stopped the Nazi guy from hurting someone else. And they would have been like dubbed the heroes. And then they would have been sort of, <laughs> um, they would have been pardoned for their for their act on... Um, on corruption, but um, <laughs> I was actually surprised it didn't happen because I, I sort of foresaw the intermission where it would all, all of a sudden just get better and then they'd be stuck. I, I think we all kind of saw that arising, but I definitely thought that had some the ending would have to be something to do with the Nazi guy. Well, I guess it did in terms of they all went to blow up the building, but I, I thought they would they'd end up on the other side of the Nazi guy. So, but that's a great idea for an alternative ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have. I didn't think about any uh, other ending. I just thought it was gonna uh, freeze frame on their faces when they uh, noticed that the play isn't flopping. You definitely know that they're not gonna manage to, you know, uh, work this scheme out. They're yeah. not gonna win. But I, I just thought it was gonna end on them failing, and that's it. I, I kind of thought that they're gonna do something with the with the old ladies, or maybe create another play, <laughs> um, like like creating another play with that investment but this time trying to make it work and and again it flops so like there's a whole lot of mess but somehow it gets resolved at the end but like to add another layer of something happening with the with the actual plot but i gotta say peter i think i think your idea is a is a good one yeah you should definitely uh, take it take it to mel brooks (laughs) 40 years too late though I really think that the strong side of this movie is, uh, like you guys said, it's not the the ending or maybe the the lesson that we learned, but just the atmosphere and the feel that it has along the way because it's, it, it just feels crazy. And it's not even just that the situation keeps getting worse and worse. Because we don't have a lot of characters, but every character we meet is crazy or strange or weird, you get the feeling that like you're looking into a different world where everything is weird there, you know? I mean, you get Max, who is a very dishonest man, you know, from the beginning that he's gonna fail. You get Leo, which kind of feels like a blank man, like a blank person, uh, but he's uh, easy to manipulate. Uh, He's fit for the story. You get Franz, the helmet-wearing Nazi. When they meet him for the first time, I was scared for them, you know? He's he's crazy. He's wearing a helmet in the middle of New York, uh, and... (laughs) I'll just stop here to say, did you guys know that he went to the audition wearing the helmet? Um, It was his idea from the beginning. And in the audition, he told them, you need what this helmet needs, uh, pigeon poop. So uh, (laughs) let's get working on that. (laughs) You you have Roger Debris, the the director, which is, he he didn't even know what the Third Reich meant. Uh, He says, this piece is drenched with historical goodies. Uh, (laughs) But it's said that they're going to lose in the third act. Uh, and uh, then his helper, Carmen Gia, is, I don't know, a shiny elf-looking guy. And um, LSD, LSD, he's got the Campbell's Soup uh, can on his neck. He's got those big boots. He doesn't even remember his name. All the characters are so weird. It feels like you're looking into uh, a different universe, a different weirder universe. And I think that this what makes the movie work so well. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, did you notice um, Mel Brooks has a line in the movie? Uh, you know, I, I I thought about it like since the movie began, and I think he he shows himself like in in really the first part where um, uh, the old lady give gives Max the uh, the check. Then there's uh, the landlord that comes and check and take the check away from him. I think that's Mel Brooks. I'm not sure. Yep. No, that's not him. Oh. Fuck. oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think he always has a line in his movies. And um, his line is in the middle of the show, in the middle of uh, springtime for uh, Hitler. They have like that dance part. And then you, got, you have a guy who says, um, I was born in Dusseldorf and that is why they call me Rolf. And then you get <laughs> another guy, which is Mel Brooks, which says, don't be stupid, be a smarty, come and join the Nazi party. That's Mel Brooks. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Okay. Then later, he does that line in Broadway, in the show, in the real show. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh-huh. How did you guys uh, like Leo's speech near the end of the courthouse scene? Oh, yeah. I thought that was actually really good. I, I actually quite liked that. I, that's where I thought they might have been going with some... In a different I, direction. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe, yeah, they were going in a different direction where the ladies might have stood up and done one of those things where mm. they said, oh, we cannot... Mm-hmm. We can't prosecute and stuff like that, but yeah. <laughs> so again, another disappointment. But uh, yeah, I didn't know. Um, but apparently, um, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks wrote half of that each, which I thought was quite interesting. So yeah, I think they didn't supposed to have a speech in that scene, but uh, I think Gene Wilder said it doesn't make sense that I wouldn't say anything here. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those actors, you know, just putting something in the movie, which is always fun. I like it when mm-hmm. actors do that. So. Another thing I really liked about this movie is that they actually showed um, bits and pieces from uh, Springtime for Hitler. You know, a lot of times when you have a movie that's talking about the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world, they, they never show it and it just kind of stays legendary. Yeah. The example I have in mind is like um, in Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, their movie. There's a pick there, a guitar pick, that if you have it, you're, you're going to become a legendary rock player. And... Throughout the whole movie, you're waiting for them to get that pick and to listen to the music that they're going to make with it, but you don't get it. Uh, it stays legendary. And I thought, I was, I was afraid that that is what they're going to do with this, that they're going to be talking about the worst show in the world, but that they're never going to show it. And I was so happy when they did. And I really, really, really love it. I mean, the, the Springtime for Hitler, all, all that song and the, the whole thing that they showed there, um, LSD playing Hitler, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah I like that as well. Yeah. Something that you guys might not have known, but um, when Gene Wilder was first reading the script, he had to um, excuse himself because he had, um, well, he told them um, he when he was reading it that he had a dentist appointment, but he actually had to go to the unemployment office to collect a check for, I think it was like $55 or something like that, because he was like, <laughs> yeah, he was really poor. So this was like his breakout um, one. And I thought that was, re- I thought that was really cool because he like, because I didn't know that when I watched it, but um, I, I thought, wow, this guy's a really good actor. This must have been in a few films before, but um, yeah, surprised. I think uh, before that he did some stuff for TV. And he was in one movie, but I don't think he was um, one of the major characters there. I think I may be wrong about that. And I think that this movie is what started his acting career um, yeah. uh, for real. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, It was the um, went viral, as they say nowadays. Did you know that uh, Dustin Hoffman was supposed to play uh, Franz Lipkind, the, the, the crazy Nazi guy? <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> He, he he auditioned and he, he was accepted and everything and he was supposed to do that uh, that role. But um, there's a movie, a famous movie that he was in, The Graduate, I, I think. I don't know. They were filming it at the same time and he, he said, he told uh, Mel Brooks, listen, I, I, I got to do The Graduate. It's a big thing. I'm going to be um, the lead in that movie. I can't do Franz Lipkin. So they got uh, the guy who did it uh, in the movie, Kenneth Mars. I think it worked well. I think Kenneth Mars did. I, I thought he was German until uh, until a day later, where I found out he was American. But I, I don't think Dustin Hoffman would have done anything better. Yeah, you know that um, when uh, Mel Brooks uh, suggested the movie idea, they wanted to replace Hitler with Mussolini because like Hitler was so uh, notoriously known uh, to that Mel Brooks kind of replied that you're kind of missing the point <laughs> with what the movie is trying to say and then they stuck with Hitler yeah no I, I agree Hitler's better Hitler's better yeah I think uh, uh, Mel Brooks wouldn't go with anything else I mean he's going all the way or nothing at all uh, <laughs> it just wouldn't work any other way I mean you gotta let Mel Brooks do his thing I think mm-hmm uh, did you guys, did you guys, um, you know, when they were um, getting the actors and uh, getting the director and getting the, um, the author, the play itself, what did you guys think would fail? I mean, we knew that something was going to fail. I thought the, um, the, the director was going to be too good or something. It's going to turn everything around. I kind of thought that um, 
when you're trying to make a good movie or something like that, you try to get the best of everyone. So you try to get a good director, good actors and, you know, a good script and stuff. And usually if one of those things is bad, so you have like a good director, good actors, but then a bad script, then the movie sucks. But I thought maybe it was like two wrongs sort of make a right. And maybe if they just got everything that's bad, it would all just gel together and make this incredible play. And I thought maybe, because no one's ever tried that combination before, maybe the forces sort of reverse on themselves <laughs> and, and it turns out this is how you make a really good film. So I just thought that there was going to be some sort of law of nature that made it really good. But it, it wasn't really that in the end. It was just, it was, if you think about it, it was just the actor because the, the actor sort of stole the show. I think it was his charm, not necessarily direction. Yeah. So. I don't mm-hmm. think he meant to do it, but I think it was it was great. I loved him. Every every moment he was on screen, uh, uh, Laurence Saint Dubois LSD, it was just great. From the song he sang in the audition to the playing actually playing Hitler on stage, yeah, uh, I really loved him. I couldn't take my eyes off of him. Yeah, it was great, baby. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought the bit where he's playing piano, I thought that was really good. I, that's why I thought the actor was the best because like you can't necessarily train actors to do that in such a short amount of time. So that's why I attribute the greatness of the of the um, springtime for Hitler to the actor. I thought I thought he had just a natural sort of charisma. So I very much agree. That's exactly what I, um, I'm feeling about this. Yeah, you know, it's been caught. Co- the movie coined the term creative accounting. Ah, yes. Really? Uh, I forgot to say that. Yeah, I think it did. No way. <laughs> it's funny because, like, um, you know, from what I read now, they, they actually teach it in, in business ethics class <laughs> about, uh, like, the term creative accounting. Yeah, yeah, I was which is, about uh... that. So. <laughs> yeah, how did you feel about the movie being an accountant yourself, Peter? <laughs> um, Do you want to be a producer now? podcaster <laughs> <laughs> well i think they've closed that um that loop um unfortunately although it wasn't actually a loophole it was just it was like if you invest in like a drag car or something like that and then the day before the crash you see on like you know see online that oh look the new drag car is blown up then you're not necessarily going to be knocking on the door oh where's my profit you know so it wasn't just creative accounting it was more just they needed to make make it look like springtime to Hitler fail. Like if they, everyone sees it in the paper, no one's going to come knocking. But yeah, from, from a accounting perspective, it kind of reminded me of, there was another scam. I, I forget the name of it, but um, essentially there was these bunch of scammers quite a long time ago, back when we used um, checks and they used to take one cent off every check from the bank. Mm. And eventually they were like millionaires Sort of no one, no one was the wiser until obviously they got caught. But I just thought it was one of those creative sort of this no way this could work sort of accounting mm-hmm. hacks. So now I thought it was really funny, but um, I think I think it also reinforced that stereotype of accountants that you know just look at the numbers, <laughs> don't understand like personal interactions and stuff. So, but I find that stuff really funny. So that was good. I think I think there's the this movie uh, Office Space I think uh, you know with uh, with the guy with the red stapler Oh the Office Oh yeah it's yeah, the, the office. office the Office yeah I think I think you're talking about that I don't know there's something called Office Space Well well there's pretty much the same scam right they they put some glitch in a, in a software and they and they collect like one penny for each transaction or something Yeah that's not yeah. the Office <laughs> Yeah not the Office <laughs> definitely not <laughs> Oh, ah, you're talking I'm about wrong. you're talking about the TV series The yeah, Office. Yeah, <laughs> No, no, I'm talking about that. Like, there's this movie. I think it's called Office Space. There's this weird guy that eventually burns everything, and he has like this obsession with a red stapler or something. But um, but the, like, what the the premise there is that they're they're doing exactly what Peter said. That maybe it's based on uh, on the real story of uh, you know collecting one cent from each transaction and. Watching it pile up to millions. Yeah, yeah. they. I, I'm looking at uh, at the IMDb page. They hatch a revenge plot against the company inspired by Superman three. I don't know. That's another movie I've never watched. <laughs> the list just grows, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> another thing, uh, another piece of trivia that I found interesting. I'm, I'm. I talked about Kenneth Mars earlier, the guy who played the German. He's one of the main characters, obviously. And um, other than Gene Wilder, I've never heard or seen the other actors in anything neither have i seen kenneth mars in anything else but i think we've all heard his voice somewhere because he did voices on 
Animaniacs, uh, Batman the Animated Series, Rugrats, Freakazoid, Mighty Max, Cow and Chicken, and the list goes on. <laughs> oh, wow. I've seen Batman the Animated Series, so um, should have should have figured out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. I think he's, he was a great actor, and to know that he's done all kinds of other things that we've heard of, I like it. Did you guys uh, get to see the, uh, the new movie, the 2005 version of uh, The Producers? No, I didn't get to see that, nope. but I... Yeah, it might actually now. So I watched it, and um, I definitely recommend it, but I think it's missed a lot of points. I mean, a lot of the things that this movie did, uh, we talked about the feeling and the atmosphere. We talked about uh, the characters. I think they missed a lot of important points, but I really recommend it. The, the music is amazing, and uh, it has Nathan Lane there that plays uh, Max Bialystok, and he's a great, great actor. I really, yeah. really uh, recommend it. Oh, cool. Yeah, maybe we'll do a, um, an episode about that one day <laughs> when, yeah. we, when we circle back around. <laughs> when we exhaust all topics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then we start recycling some. Next episode that we will record, we will be talking about um, Deja Vu, an album by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Um, and uh, Peter, you chose that album, so uh, please uh, tell us about it. Yeah, okay. Well, um, Deja Vu, um, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. So they're obviously four people. Um, Stephen Stills, Graham Nash, David Crosby, Neil Young. Was that out of your head or uh, <laughs> did no, you no, have to um, no, <laughs> no, I did actually. Um, I did remember them because I, n- I only know... Um, I know David Crosby and Neil Young, but I didn't know Stephen Stills and Graham Nash. But um, yeah, I thought I've seen it a lot. It's one of those album covers that I keep on seeing when I scroll through Spotify. And um, I have listened to a bit of Neil Young in the past. So I thought um, this is exactly what this podcast is for. You know, something that's on the fringe that you might not normally listen to. But yeah, it came out in um, 1970 and I thought... um, I'm surprised I hadn't listened to it because most of the music I listened to is sort of bang on 1970. So, um, and it has a lot of like the elements that I like, has like a lead guitar part and, you know, solid singing and stuff like that. A bit of acapella sort of singing as well, but a um, bit of harmony. And um, no, it was really well well received, actually. It's one of the, I don't know if I'd say greatest of all time, but it's it's definitely up there and some of the songs made it into pop culture history, but I've already I've listened to it a little bit, but I won't go into it um, too much now. But um, yeah, I definitely I th- definitely think you guys um, will be um, interested in listening to it, and um, it's definitely worth the listen. So yeah, I always wanted to listen to their stuff. I mean, I hear their name all the time, and I, I never got around to it. Uh, so this is a good 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 chance to do that. I told a couple of people that I know. Uh, that we're going to do that album for the next episode. And uh, they both said, oh, yeah, this is a great one to start with. Uh, you can't miss with that. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited. I've never heard about it, so I'm excited too. Let's see <laughs> what it brings. I think it's really kind of um, American rock, right? American, maybe even country rock. Uh, yeah, I think definitely American rock. Country rock, I don't even know what separates the difference, but... Um... The banjo. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it's the banjo. It's the... Um... I don't know. It sounds a little bit country, I guess. Cool. So we're moving from um, uh, the first episode where we talked about a movie from uh, 1967. Second episode will be um, about an album from 1970. And then uh, we'll see where Barrio takes us on episode three. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. And uh, I'd like to thank you guys for joining me today. And uh, really, we're going, we're starting something uh, cool here. We're going on a quest. Yes, and Thank sir. you guys for listening at home. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Cool. See ya. Thanks. Thanks.